on this beautiful Wednesday morning. And now, Mark Henry, here on YouTube, here, wherever you get your podcast. Let's talk some Phillies. If you're watching this right now, you can see Bob is absolutely steaming that the Phillies had the audacity to keep winning after he declared them dead almost two months ago now. Yeah, uh, actually, so I, I go on paternity leave and I don't cover the team for 10 days. And the first thing I write when I come back is this obituary, basically, that's like, these guys are done. Thanks for coming out. That was in the title. And uh, I still feel that way. <laughs> I mean, I really do. I, I'm sorry. I just I feel terrible. Like, you know, I think that there's some people that are like latching on to hope here. Uh, you know, and we've talked about it a million times on the show, right? Like, I want them to win. Like, it's good for the city. It's good for us. More people read. Uh, but I'm not a believer in this product, uh, and even their their thrilling extra inning win last night after scoring one run against the Orioles in 18 innings, who are giving up nearly six runs per game this season. Uh, you know, I still don't quite have uh, Philly's fever here this morning, but they are at least alive for another day, and so we can do this, and here we are. I didn't know I was still in on these guys because I legitimately uh, – JT hits that triple – and I get up off my couch and I'm waving Bryce around third. And I'm like, this he's going to get thrown out for the third time uh, this game. I mean, whew. Yeah, listen, I mean, it's a situation where like you, you kind of you want to kill him and then simultaneously give him credit. Because every time you want to pronounce them dead, they kind of just wiggle up off the mat and you go, okay, like they're still alive. You still look at the math. You know, you got the Orioles for one more tonight. Zach Wheeler going, four with the Pirates. You're going to get one more shot with the Braves next week. I mean, from a mathematical standpoint, and really more than a mathematical standpoint, like contextually, you can probably talk yourself into this team playing down to the very end and having a shot. But, you know, listen, I have no problem with what happened in New York uh, this weekend. You know, winning two out of three up there, that's a good job. I mean, I know they let one get away from them on Sunday night, but they were, you know, they did what they needed to do in New York. But to then come back and, and lose that opener the way they did to the Orioles, that's a killer, especially on the heels of how you started your previous homestand against, uh, you know, two, you know, let's not mince words here, shitty teams. So, I mean, they, they've just let so many opportunities slip away. I think it's too late, but – they're here, and, and we'll see. Bob, anyone can beat 100 lost teams. In the playoff hunt, the Phillies are trying to show that they can compete with the playoff teams, the playoff caliber teams. Mark, what did you think about everything? I mean, I have not counted a team out more times than this Phillies team just for them to make me look stupid. Like, I tweeted in the – I think it was the eighth or the ninth inning just that the Phillies embarrassed me to my very core. And then they come out with, like, their, their most exciting win in weeks or whatever. So, I, I mean – how likely is it, Bob, that we're trending towards a situation where even though we've said the season's over for so long, we go into that last six games against Atlanta and against Miami with a chance at realistically trying to win this division? Yeah, I, I kind of think that they will be, and, and I've thought this really for the last week now, I kind of think that they'll be two games out 
going into the Braves series. Uh, so they're three out this morning. I would imagine that they- two and a half, two and a half, they're two and a half out. Yeah, the, the Padres Braves game. Yeah. So I mean, I just I look at it and I go, I mean. Yeah, next week I would imagine will mean something. I think that they're a long shot, though. And I think uh, I read this morning baseball reference gives them, and I don't put too much stock in this because when the number was really high, we were like, ooh, look, the Phillies are going to make the playoffs. But I think they have a 13.7% chance of, of making the postseason this morning. And that, to me, sounds about right. You know, I, I'd probably give them about a one in five shot to do it. Yeah, I think, you- I think baseball reference had it at 17% too. So it's, it's really not – there's no way it's above 20% that this team can make the playoffs. Do you put more stock in baseball reference or do you put more stock in PFF grades? <laughs> yeah, uh, PFF grades are just – at least there's like a formula to baseball reference. PFF grades are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that this week. It was great. That's all offensive shot of all time. And then they can't play San Francisco a week later. Jordan Mailata is Jason Peters reincarnated according to PFF. People are getting a little carried away with themselves there. It It's so hard to talk about this this team because it's like – they look like shit for 19 innings against a hundred loss team. And then they do something exciting. And I'm like, I don't want to bury these guys. I don't want to talk about them like negatively. I want like a red October. I, we need, I've been saying this, we need to get the guys some playoff experience. I, I know it's bad baseball. It's legitimately exhausting to watch nine innings of this team. I find myself a lot of times scrolling Twitter and forgetting to watch the whole inning, <laughs> but I want uh, we need a red October. I mean, I want Hazley and Boom to come back up. I want Bryson Stott to just be on the bench, and he's like the he's like the take your kid take your kid to work day. He's just waving his legs back and forth on the bench. He's not going to get in, but I want to see like uh, a- Andrew Painter and Mick Abel put him in a box, let him get the excitement. If they make the playoffs, Bob, do they sell out a game? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know. I- I know they're in a playoff race right now, I guess, but it feel like it. Certainly the fans have not bought in in the way that they're they're not showing up. I mean, they may be watching on television, they may be tweeting about the game. It looked like the Twitter was pretty active last night, but uh people aren't, you know, investing their time and money to go down there. The only time we really saw that this entire season was that Mets series uh back in the beginning of August and really the first two games of that series uh, the attendance numbers were pumped up by a pretty a pretty big influx in presence of Mets fans. But that Sunday game where Wheeler dealt and they sweep them, that was the one time this season where I said, like, okay, like, you know, this does feel like old times. This feels like Citizens Bank Park used to feel. Um, you know, if they make the postseason, if they cut down a three-game lead in the next 11, I guess so. You know, I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if if they got close, but will they sell it out? Like, I don't know, man. Like, I just don't think that the appetite for this team is here, and it's amazing. Somebody tweeted it out uh, over the last couple of days. They're like, you have a team that has a, a potential, you know, he's not going to win it, but a guy that's going to finish as a Cy Young finalist. And, you know, one of the, the faces of baseball who, in my opinion, is going to win the, the award, the MVP award. And it's just not a very, like, likable team it's not a team that you feel particularly emotionally attached to um and and you know fans attendance numbers certainly reflect that idea jt gets that hit last night and starts pumping up the fans uh around in third base it's good that those 350 people got a nice little got some excitement to see uh, up live and in person but i I mean we we kind of kyle's over there trying to talk both of us into the phillies run i think uh but but regardless of that, I'm going to go a little negative here. This is a question I've wanted to ask you for a while because 
DD Gregorius drives me crazy, whether that be in the field or playing against lefties, batting against lefties. It's, it's unbelievable to me that, that he's in the lineup against lefties. But if this team would have went out and signed the contract that Marcus Semyon got from Toronto, I think it was one year, $16 million, instead of signing a two-year, $28 million deal for DD, where are the Phillies at right now? Oh, they're probably winning the division, you know? I mean, unless you, you just kind of think that the Phillies have that, like, Eeyore, like, womp, 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 like, thing where Marcus Simeon comes here and he plays like T.D. Gregorius has played this year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that to me, that type of production in the middle of the order, uh, there's just so many times, whether it be defensively, offensively, that D.D. Gregorius seems to be in a big spot and hasn't come through for this team. And it's a shame because – you know, last year, abbreviated season, he was so good. I mean, there was a reason that the Phillies did that deal. And there was a reason that when they did that deal, a lot of people felt good about it. They were like, hey, you got to get Didi back in the fold. It lengthens out your lineup. He's a solid guy, you know, true pro. But, I mean, it just has not worked out this year. And I think the Phillies have a big decision to make about next season. You know, I've, I've read a little bit about p- potentially playing him at third base. I don't I don't think that that's a viable option. Um and, and, you know, it's been floated out there, this idea of like, hey, he's making $14, $15 million next year, but you might have to swallow that deal and just simply move on. That's how bad he's been. Uh, you don't know what guys are dealing with, like, right? Like we've been reading about this pseudo gout thing now for three months, and he recently came out and sort of, I guess, insinuated or, or outright said that the COVID vaccine uh, impacted uh, his elbow. I don't buy that. I, I think that that's a bunch of nonsense, but whatever. I don't really want to go down that road this morning. Um, you know, but if you believe that, maybe he he'll be a year out from that, and things will be better next year. But it's a shame. Uh, you know, he's he's been a big part of the reason uh, that they're they're still looking up at the Braves right now. So when he did come out about that for a second, you did say, "I'm 35 years old. I drink a ton of beer, eat wings, pizza, have the vaccination, and run four to seven miles per day." I do. When do we run four to seven? How far do we get along into the run before we're like, hey, this is a seven-mile day. Hey, this is a four-mile day. Yeah, there it is, right? It's all about how you're feeling. I don't plan it out. I just go out there, see how things are going. Like, you know, usually within like the first two miles, like, how am I feeling here? Is this hurting a little bit? But, yeah, I get two miles in, and I usually open it up. And the pizza, the wings, the beer the night before usually does not dictate the performance (laughs) the following day. It's just weird, man. My body, it's a – I treat it like a temple, you know, and, and I just, I, sometimes I just try to push it to its, its utmost limits. And, and that's what I've been doing lately. You would have been great on the John Farrell Red Sox. Yeah, I would have fit right <laughs> in, man. I would have been the, the beat writer for the John Farrell Red Sox. Um, you know, listen, someone, some smart ass was like, oh yeah, like well, it's possible that like, you know, uh, like everyone's body reacts differently to the vaccine and like, yeah, kind of. But if you read the story by Matt Breen, like, you know, doctors, scientists basically are like, this is not a thing. He's completely making this up. And at the very least, you know, the one thing I'll say, like, even if we just concede that like everyone's body reacts differently to the vaccine, we want to go down that road. Cool. Fine. But don't use it as an excuse in the middle of an absolutely atrocious season because nobody wants to hear that shit, right? Like, if you look at the way that the Phillies and the fans, the majority of fans have reacted to this Phillies team and their, like, aversion to the COVID vaccine, it hasn't been good. Like, their PR guys probably have been given some unnecessary headaches by about some of the messaging from the players of this team. It's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, even if you believe that in your mind, your heart, just shut up. 
Like, there's just no reason to say it. It's not going to help you. It's not going to improve your likability. And this team needs every bit of goodwill that it can afford to get right now. And here he is saying that. Does he have the slowest transfer from ball and glove to hand in the MLB? Holy hell. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like, what you're getting into with him. Like, you know that the defensive skills aren't uh, exactly premium, but you live with that because of what he brings to the table or what he's supposed to bring to the table with his bat. But his bat speed, you talk about the transfer being slow. It's not hard to see what's happening with him. Like, you watch him live. You know, like, I know, like, a lot of times, like, writers, media guys are like, oh, you, you got to see the game live. You got to sit in the press box and see the whole game. You, you see it differently than you do on TV. Not always, really, honestly. But with like him at the plate in person and you see him swing day in, day out, you're like, Jesus Christ, like his bat speed is just completely evaporated. doesn't mean he won't run into one occasionally or have a two-hit game occasionally, but something's wrong there. I mean, he everything is slow with the swing. Yeah, I mean, what do you think it says about this organization? I, and the one positive, the, like the main positive for me for last night's win is you win the bullpen game. You you get that out of the way. So obviously you have all these Wheelers, Ranger, Nola, Gibson starts coming up. What do you think it says about the Phillies front office and the organization in general that in the middle of a playoff run, we're trotting out Adonis Medina and we're, you know, going with a bullpen game? Yeah, I mean, so uh, I, th- I think it says a lot. I think it says that, you know, they they want to win uh, and they'll, they'll be aggressive, uh, but they won't be aggressive to the point of discomfort. Like they're not willing to to go all in. And there's and what I mean by all in is I don't mean bringing Max Scherzer in here at the trade deadline, but like they were, in my estimation, two starting pitchers away. And I guess that they had expected that Zach Eflin was going to come back. You know, I guess you can't plan for that. I think they should have had a little bit more foresight considering what the injury was and what the history of that injury has been with him. But, you know, to me, you go out and and you get your Kyle Gibson. And and I know that they had gotten close with the Tyler Anderson. Like They were two starting pitchers away, even after the move, uh, bringing in Ranger Suarez. And that's worked out better than I think uh, certainly I thought it was going to. And probably anybody did, really. But, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, like you get through a bullpen game and you win. That's wonderful. Great. But there's a there, there's a reverb effect to that. Like you get through that night, but there's a lingering impact about the the diminished effectiveness and availability of your bullpen in those following games, and and that's that's hurt them at times this year. So it's a killer, you know. And and you can make an argument if they would have gone out and gotten one more stable four or five type guy, we're talking maybe about a two game difference right now. Which when you get to this time of the year, that's huge. Well, there, there was no way we could give up like the 26th best prospect for Tyler Anderson. We, you know, it was 30 and 31. There was no working on that deal. Uh, you know, once it was off the table, we couldn't adjust it at all. And, so and that's what's amazing about it. Like, I remember like, we were we were at the, the stadium when that deal fell apart. And, you know, a couple of the writers were talking and we're just like, OK, like if, if there's medical issues on one guy, like this isn't exactly a premium prospect. Like, surely he would be interchangeable with somebody else. Um but I guess not. I mean, it was, we were very taken aback by that. Like when the first tweet went out, I don't know who it was. It might've been Rosenthal or Heyman. It was one of the national guys was like, Hey, this hit a snag. We're like, okay, they'll just figure it out. You know, they didn't. What about a four man rotation? Um, The next bullpen game is on Fran appreciation day, which uh, (laughs) nothing says we appreciate you like Matt Moore for three innings and getting through this season is a four man rotation insane or like bringing up like kind of like, I don't know, a Hans Kraus or a Francisco Morales just to see if you can get four or five innings from them. I know it's a big jump. 
I think they're going to just do what they do here. Uh, I really do. I mean, I know that seems kind of, kind of like a lame response, but I think, you know, maybe, maybe like it, I think it just is a wait and see type thing. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of a moot point. If they, they go out and they split with the pirates this weekend, like who, who cares? Right. Yeah. But I think that they'll entertain all options, but I would imagine that as they assess this on the go, like they would say, Hey, Adonis Medina did a pretty nice job last night. Like Adonis Medina wasn't, wasn't the issue for the first nine innings of that game. So, you know, maybe they'll, they'll run it back with him. I, that in my, my guess of is what they're, they're going to do. I mean, so we'll, we'll see. But isn't it a shame, right? Like, as we've been having this conversation, like, you know, like you guys probably talking Eagles. You're like, oh, we got to break down Eagles Cowboys. And like, you're in the back of your mind, like, they can beat the Cowboys. This Cowboys stink. And like, you have like some like real belief that like the Eagles will be two and one come late Monday night, right? Like, we're having this conversation about the Phillies right now. Like, what can they do? Week schedule. They got the Braves for three. You know, they're not going to do it. Like, stop it. We don't you you can keep this negative energy on change up or or cross up or whatever your podcast is and called. By the way, listen, I I, I got to tell you, like I'm not like trying to like die on the hill. Like I'm not trying to die <laughs> on this take, right? Like if they if they win it, if they go you know nine and two down the stretch and win the division, I'll retweet my own story. Like we don't have to do freezing cold takes. I'll be like, I was very very wrong and glad to be, you know. But you got to call it like you see it and like. Can this team? I mean, sorry. Can can Bryce still win MVP if they go like two and nine? If they go two and nine against like the the <laughs> Orioles, the Orioles, the Pirates, and then get like swept by the Braves, but and then, he hits like 36, 39 home runs. Yeah, and then they go down to the cemetery in Miami and and just officially die down there. Um, no, I probably no. not. But listen, I mean, like if you if you look at the numbers, like it's just impossible to me. Like so, he he woke up this morning. DraftKings I think has a minus one forty five to win the MVP. Handle wow. has a minus one thirty. And I think there's a couple big things like working in his favor. Obviously, one, the Padres, I think it was on August 21st, had a share of the second wild card spot. And since they have now fallen behind the Phillies in the standings, and they're two and eight in their last 10 games, you saw Manny Machado and, and Tatis Jr. fighting in the dugout the other night. That was all over. What do you think about that? That didn't look as bad as I thought people kind of blew it out of proportion. I think it was a you know wrong place at the wrong time. Someone snags okay. it on video. You know, Machado is just saying, like, dude, like, you're too important. Like, you gotta, you gotta get it together. You gotta get your head right. It's not about you. Like, th- that's that type of stuff happens all the time. But just the the way it was like up front in your yeah. face, it was like a unique look. You don't typically see that stuff. Just happens well, more in the clubhouse. You're saying, sure. Yeah. So when you look at it like that, and whatever you know, what's going on with him? You know, Tatis Jr. the last like two weeks has actually been pretty good statistically. But if you stretch that out over 30 games, I mean, he has like an 800 OPS up against Bryce Harper's 1317 OPS. Like, it's not even close. And I think that there's an idea at this point. I would have said a month ago the Phillies had to make the postseason for him to win the MVP. I don't believe that anymore. Guys like Muncie and Freeman, they just don't have the numbers that stack up. And I think that people realize that this Phillies team is so deeply flawed. The fact that they're even in it right now and that Harper's dragging them to the finish line, that's probably going to be enough. I think the important, the number one important question about the Bryce Harper MVP is did Twitter properly educate you about Claude Giroux's 2017 2018 season? (laughs) Yeah, like the tweet is it's one of the best seasons, one of the best seasons in the last 30 years. Not the best. 
Not that, you know, Claude Giroux and ha- hockey is irrelevant or, you know, any of that. <laughs> but, like, you know, it, it goes without saying, like, uh, McNabb and Owens in 04, right? Like, Ryan Howard had a number of years. Chase Utley had a number of years. Jimmy Rollins won the NL MVP. Allen Iverson in 2000, 2001. But nobody responded more to that tweet with just, like, moron than Flyers fans who were quick to point out Claude Drew's 100-point season, which, to be perfectly honest with you, one, I don't remember because I don't care about hockey. And number two, they didn't win shit, right? Like They lost to the Penguins 4-2 in the first round. They finished third in the Metro. And you can say, like, listen, the Phillies haven't won anything either. Like, I totally agree. And in three years from now, when we get a next really good season, like, you can say, well, Bryce Harper didn't win anything, and that's cool. But, man, like, Flyers fans, it's just like this, like, look at us. Like, you know, it's like the, the, the – We exist. We exist. We we count, too, like our sport, you know? Like, we get it. And that's so annoying. Like, you don't have to validate, like, Claude Giroux in the middle of a conversation about a guy that just happens to be playing really well right now. It's insane. It's insane. Hockey, hockey fans are the only breed of fan, and they're the only sports fan that they get mad that there's no attention being paid to hockey, but – also, if there's any like outsiders tweeting about hockey or like new new guys tweeting about hockey, it's like you're not a hockey fan, yeah. you're not a hockey guy. It's like, so do you want the sport to grow or die? Basically, it's a great point. It's it's that's spot on. It's like, please talk about that the flyers more, please talk about hockey more, and then you go to talk about it. And you're like, you're not qualified to talk about it. <laughs> it's like a five-year-old that like wants to jump off the diving board in a pool. They're like, Mom, 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 look at me, look at me. Like <laughs> Jesus, like we know you're there. We see you. You're jumping off the diving board. Claude Drew had a hundred point season. <laughs> Did you not learn from the what would we be without Ronald Torres that you just can't be throwing out hypotheticals out there anymore? Yeah, I mean, like I didn't think that that was like a sizzling take. Like the guy is having literally like one of the best statistical seasons in the history of this franchise. And like you know, granted, like two thousand people like the tweet, lots of people retweeted it, most people agreed, but then you have like this like subset of like twenty five people that are like you forgot about Claude Drew. <laughs> All right, dude. Okay. What's up with crossing broad reporters and getting dunked on by Flyers fans this week? Yeah. Also, like I think there was a uh, Anthony Sanfilippo had a report right about somebody. Sam some- Moran, yeah, having a significant knee injury and then uh yeah. it- and then no. he got dunked on by Riley Cote out of everybody. Yeah, well, and then it turns out yesterday the guy's going to be out for two months. So I guess, like, we can get into semantics about what significant means. Like, he's not out for the year, I guess. But, like, he's not playing hockey for two months. That seems fairly significant. But, hey, whatever. I was so happy for Ant. And I made a Photoshop of Blake Griffin dunking on this guy. And I put Ant's face on Riley Cote. And I then looked in the comments of, of Ant's tweet and it was still people fighting that it wasn't significant enough. It's like it's two months. Dude, yeah. This guy's gonna be out of the he's gonna miss games. Yeah, like, I mean, listen, the same way. I go down, like I cover the Phillies, I write about the Phillies. You might say, like, oh, I like this guy's opinions. I don't like I don't break stories though. Like, let's be honest. Like, I the only thing that I've we even remotely sniffed out was Greg Murphy was gonna return to the radio broadcast this year. That was like our big uh, our big 2021 Philly scoop, right? So like that's not really my game. I'm not like down there five hours before the game, you know talking to guys about you know what they think about Joe Girardi, whatever. Anthony Sanfilippo is, is the most dialed in hockey reporter in the city and it's not even close. And, you know, so if he says something more often than not, it's, it's, there's something validity to it, you know, like he's not just making up stuff. So it was good to see that there, that was proven right. But again, Flyers fans, like 
short of him dying, that that report wouldn't have been good enough. Right? Like, well, he's he's only out two months. Like, yeah. Great. Speaking of, of of one of the best dialed reporters in the city, where are you in this situation? Next to Jim Salisbury. Uh, look <laughs> at that effort. Uh, he went he went all out. I mean, that's uh, you know, people forget Jim's an athlete. You know, like, look at this. You see this, like the the will, the desire. I mean, he went after that full throttle. He's in playoff mode, man. Uh, where do you sit in terms of that? Where, like physically, like where would am you, I? Would you would you've had it? Would you've backed up Jim? Is basically what I'm asking. If you, oh, I don't know. Uh, I probably would have given him a hand. I probably would have gone over and scooped him up uh, after he, after he fell. But uh, I'm probably going to give that less of a reach. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm I'm going to sit there if that ball is like near me. I'm going to go. Like that. I'm, not even, <laughs> I'm just going to get, ooh. Yeah. Oh, that would be on everything's fine in yeah. literally five seconds. Yeah, I mean, like, I, not, I'm not saying I'm incapable of, of not, like, reaching up and snagging that thing, but I'm probably just going to – I'm just going to let it go. I'll tell you what, though, in Jim's defense, if you're ready for that, you probably make that play. But it's hard, like, just, like, the, the physics to get the ball up into the press box. It doesn't happen very often. I'm sure the, the, the seats are a little comfortable, too, where you have to, like – it's probably, like, the pop-out seats where, like, it goes up when you get up. Yeah. So you're, you're shifting left. You're like, Didi DeGore is going to his left. Not that strong right now. There is a little bit of a swivel, though. Like, it, there is okay. a little element. So, you know, he should have been able to kind of plant, rotate, and go. But, yeah. hey, whatever. It happens. Is there a barrier by the knees that, like, he has to kind of, like, swivel, move the knees back up a little bit, and then go to the left? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough play. Unless you sit All in that right. seat, unless you go through that grind of 162, you know, <laughs> you don't know how hard it is to make those types of plays. I'm, I'm going to step on Kyle's gimmick here. Uh, he's got a question that he usually asks you. I listen to Wankle Wednesdays now that I'm a part of it now. But, uh, I mean, unwritten rules are, are up your alley. Uh, and he's the something, keeper. Something big popped off the other night in the uh, the Blue Jays-Rays game. Yes. Kevin Kiermeyer slides into home, pay, home plate. Uh, he's out. And I guess the catcher's, you know, his card that apparently contained how they wanted to pitch to every player on the Rays pops out of his uh, his wristband or whatever, and Kevin Kiermeyer just scoops it right up and brings it to the dugout. He said, you know, he thought he was grabbing, you know, his his own outfield card, and he brought it back to the dugout. He gave it to someone, and from that point on, he didn't know anything with it, but he wasn't going to give it back at that point. Where do you stand on this? Uh, <laughs> I love it, man. Like if you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna have the card, if like if that's how you want to roll, you're a card guy, uh, then you know, then you're open you're vulnerable man like just keep that scouting report up here talk about things in between innings you know what you're getting into each inning so i think that's sloppy man so if, if you're going to expose it like that that's like a catcher squatting and giving the signs too low showing it off to the opposing dugout what are you going to do not look i'm in that's fine no problem with that not i a agree violation. not a violation Bo. How about the Blue Jays pissed off that they didn't give it back? Like, fuck you. You're not cheating. You're not trying. We just went through a whole thing where people were banging on trash cans. People were manipulating uh, Apple Watches. Uh, we had the Yankees guys, like, sitting in center field at games and stuff and and uh, dialing it back to the, the clubhouse. And we're going to get mad about a guy who just took a piece of paper. Yeah, my official ruling on this is, like, when it's technology, like, when you're, when you're circumventing rules, like, with technology, setting up cameras and phones and, and like, trackers and beepers, no good. Someone drops a piece of paper with some interesting information on it. Man, come on. It's like you're walking down the street. There's nobody around. Pick up a $100 bill. What are you going to do? Like knock on everyone's door. Did you lose a $100 bill? No way. So I have no problem with that. 
I All saw right, well, someone I saw someone compare this to that. It's like when you're when you're out, you see a wallet. It's like, well, I have a wallet, too. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll go. <laughs> so now I have two wallets. I'm not giving it back now that I know that there's two of them. Great job by him, though, to say, like, oh, I actually thought it was my own card. Like, I mean, that's yeah. that's, that's plausible deniability right there. Oh, he heaved and hauled over his response, though. Could have been a little bit better on the PR team to to get in front of him. I got one more before we get out of here. Um, as a coach, <laughs> I need you. To, I need you to break down what went wrong here. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's simple. Uh, one, he was he was probably drinking beforehand. Uh, okay. Cup of twelve. That's going to hurt your location. See that that front shoulder flies open way too soon, right? And then you got the you got the arm slot just lagging behind. It's tough to locate when you fly open that early. Look at the front half, the lower half, totally open to the plate. It's no good. I mean, that is a that, that is a a four year old throwing the ball for the first time, where they don't, where every four year old like 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 lets it go like right here, and it yeah. just just goes that way. What do you do if you're behind the play? Is that Patrick Wisdom? Is that who it is? is? Yeah, I think so, he's the star. <laughs> so if you're Patrick Wisdom, what do you do there? You go like, man, nice, nice throw. Like, I, I loved it personally. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're gonna go out there and be like, what the hell was that, man? And then get popped in the throat pregame. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look at him. He goes, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the ball went like that way Ooh. and then rolled all the way around. Yeah. It was insane. I think that there was a little bit more sauce on this pitch too than he was expecting. You know, like, I think he was expecting that loopy, like thirty mile an hour toss. But you know, McGregor trying to be a hardo here, really bring it with a little velocity, and then it just totally gets away from him. It looked like Jose Alvarado. <laughs> so it kind of did. Don't, I don't hate McGregor as much as like most people. Uh, I guess I just don't really have like an opinion on McGregor. But what do you think? I did see some some Cubs fans. I have a weird amount of Cubs fans that I follow and follow me. But I did see some Cubs fans angry that they won't let Sammy Sosa like back into the stadium because of, you know, some steroid issues. Conor McGregor, no, you know, no lack of controversial issues that could keep him out of a ballpark uh, for your team. So what, what did you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting choice. But I think that like America, uh, by and large, looks at Conor McGregor favorably. I don't know. I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I'm not a huge UFC guy, but when I saw him throw out the pitch last night or whatever, I said, okay, yeah, like I didn't have those thoughts of like, wow, I can't believe the Cubs let him throw it out. So I would imagine most people are probably with me on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Worse than 50 Cent? Oh, 50 Cent was way worse. I you mean, think so? Yeah, I do. Because like that ball at least had like some, like it was like on a line, you know, it, it, got another, str- it went to another galaxy. Yeah, but like it had like a little bit of like a you know some zip to it at least. Fifty cents was just like this. I don't know. Fifty cents looked like he was throwing a bar of soap. <laughs> All right, where can people find you? Where can people read you for the not last two weeks for, <laughs> for the longer for the playoff run? Yeah, so we're back off uh, paternity leave here. I'm leaving my wife and child tonight to go watch the Phillies playoff hunt. <laughs> So I'll be, I'll be down at the stadium uh, tonight we'll, after a two-week hiatus to get back on Red October. Here we come. Uh, so that's fun. Good father. Good father. Watching the Phillies slog to the finish line. I'm leaving my kid for seven hours to to watch this. Did your wife ever look at the standings and be like, do you really have to go down and yeah, cover so this? I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, I'm going to leave my 11-day-old kid or whatever, 12-day-old kid to watch D.D. Gregorius foul out with two runners on base. Um, but anyway, yeah, at Bob Wankel, CB, crossingbroad.com, <laughs> catch the fever, catch all the yeah. action. 
<laughs> Bob is, is is the leading member of, of Red October. Yeah, I'm fired up. <laughs> all right, Bob. All the way to Halloween. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you. All right. Thanks for Bob Wenkel for coming on. Mark, I want to talk to you about your favorite topic, Benjamin J. Simmons. And the J is for Listen, if I've said it once, I've said it twice. This could get uglier. I want it to get uglier because if you if you saw the tweet from Woj, it's just he's not reporting anything. We've already we've already here. We've we've known about this for the last two weeks, and he's just confirming everything. It's it's the uh, it's the Adam Schefter move. Where it's like Adam gets gets scooped by Ian Rappaport on a free agency signing, Adam will then attach his name to the uh, the years and the money on the deal, and he'll attribute it to himself and Mort. And now with with this Woj thing, he's just confirming Wendy's sources after Wendy's concer- uh, confirming Kendrick Perkins sources, and it's like a a human centipede of of source confirming, and Perk is is getting the end of it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've my main thought this morning is why is Kendrick Perkins not getting the credit for this report? No, How crazy I'm, is that? <laughs> How crazy is that? It, it just seems like we are going to hear the same exact news reported from different sources and then have to treat it as news. <laughs> it's like we knew this. Like we knew yeah. he wasn't reporting. We've talked about this so many times that that he wasn't going to come to camp, and no one should be surprised. And and it seems like. All of Philadelphia Twitter is like, wait, what? He's not coming to camp. It's like, where were you for the last month when this was clearly a rumor? And to me, more than anything, the constant flow of information and the constant, you know, leaks, whatever you want to say, it says a lot. It says a whole heck of a lot, in my opinion. And it says that Clutch is nervous. Yes, they are. They are nervous that the Sixers are holding on to Ben or trading him to Siberia, you know, uh, trading him to Orlando or something. Like, I, I don't think that that's in the cards, really. But they're not telling them anything, in my opinion. In my it just in, in terms of what I'm it, what I'm seeing in the situation, I don't think Maury is giving Ben or Clutch any of the answers they want or any of the information they want. And I think that they feel that their only way to control the situation is to apply pressure through the media. Now, I just don't think that's going to work because, and I've seen a lot of this on, on my timeline too. You know, we can throw this season away or we can't throw this season away or we can't win under 40 games. Like I've seen people like, oh, if we if we play without Ben and Ben sits, this team's going to be a 35 to 40 win team. In a full season last year, this team would have won 59 games last year. This team is not going to be 20 games worse this year. They're just not. Even without Ben Simmons, you take Ben Simmons off the team, Tyrese Maxey, hopefully Matisse Thibel. Hopefully these guys can improve. Hopefully your backup big lineups aren't as absolutely terrible uh, because Ben Simmons, uh, I've, I, like he's going to change the way you play with a backup big like Drummond or Dwight because he can't shoot. You put in a guard in there like a Maxey, like a Curry that can shoot. I think that's a different story. This is a, at worst to me, this is a 45-win team. Uh, at absolute worst, this is a 45 win team. That's still a pretty sharp decline from last year, even without Ben. That's, you know, 14 wins worse than we would have been over a full season last year. And that's just the floor for me. I think people are expecting this team to drop off a cliff because Ben's gone. And it's the same people that are telling me Ben sucks. So I, I don't I, I don't understand how to rationalize that in my head. 
it's just it's a little confusing, but I, I think everyone needs to relax. I think this bonded the Sixers fans a little in a in a sick way. I talked to you about I, that yesterday. You 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 tweeted that you were gonna mute the word Ben Simmons, which I don't you know, Mark, I can't blame you, but I think this has bonded the Sixers fans. The thing that uh that I don't I don't necessarily understand is or no, the thing that I was wrong about, absolutely wrong about I said on this podcast is that Clutch has like a lot of leverage. I was completely wrong. They have absolutely zero leverage. I literally think that they are going it's, this is going into the season of him getting fined. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just shitty advice that he's getting from his his management and his agent. And it's funny that Neurons Noel is suing Rich Paul right now for this exact reason of mismanagement and just bad advice. I mean, Neurons Noel looking at $80 million is represented by another agent, talks to um, Rich Paul. Rich Paul tells him he's a $100 million man. Two days later, he signs with Rich Paul Ends up, uh, I think, signing with the Mavericks for one year, three million on a prove it deal. Mm-hmm. Hurts his finger midway through the uh, midway through the, the the contract. Signs a qualifying offer for two years, five million with Oklahoma City. Like that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And that's when Nero as well said that Clutch kind of fell out of favor with him and, and didn't really, you know, give him the proper uh, advice. Give him they withheld people's interest in him like if you're Ben Simmons you're reading that and I know you're one of the premier players and Clutch definitely treats you with with white glove service what are you kind of thinking like when they put a foreclosure sign on the house and we're doing a little happy Gilmore auction on the lawn and uh, Josh Harris is buying your 17.9 million dollar house is that when you're kind of like hey listen I think we should come to the table I think we should talk to him and Rich is just like hey no we got him right where we want him like how can you go ahead I mean, Kyle Newbeck put it great um, in his in his story that he wrote and on Twitter. If Ben Simmons wants to wants to get, and he doesn't, so this is kind of irrelevant. But if Ben Simmons wanted to try to fix this, if Ben Simmons wanted to try to you know remedy the situation, fire Rich Paul. That mm-hmm. I mean, from a professional standpoint, that's probably the smart decision as well. Is uh, it though? But, uh, we just He's said a, it though. It, it's like firing it, it seems, Scott Boris or Drew Rosenhaus. Yeah, I get that there's definitely some negatives to it, but it does seem like he's there's no way this is working in Ben Simmons' best interest. I, I just don't see how him sitting out helps him at all. I, I unless you know he ends up going to a team that he wants to go to, like Golden State, for absolutely nothing, uh, which I just don't see happening. I think they think that they can force Daryl Morey into feeling uncomfortable and making a move. Um, did LeBron tweet this or did LeBron? delete this tweet that's clearly about Ben Simmons. No, he didn't. So I'm going to share this now. Uh, LeBron tweeted out something, This and this made me think a lot, too. I told you he was going to get involved. He he did get involved, I think. Uh, this is so weird, though. I actually like, don't even know what LeBron's, like, ulterior motive is here. Like, uh, he tweets out uh, the other day. Let me zoom in a little. Oh, uh, I saw this, yes. Why do so many ballplayers work on stuff they are never going to use in the game? Seriously questioned. By the way, terrible grammar. Annoys me a tad. Uh, I mean, is there anyone out there who doesn't think that's about Ben Simmons? Because uh, that sounds like it's the, the like a tweet about Ben Simmons more than any other on Twitter. So that's a little weird to me. It's like if Ben, like you said, is like the the white glo- getting treated with white gloves. He's one of the premier players over there. That's a weird tweet from LeBron, and I, I don't know what LeBron would be like 
trying to do with that tweet? Like, what message is he trying to send? Was he sitting in a gym with Ben Simmons watching him shoot threes? And he's like, what the what the what the fuck am I looking at right now? Like, you're not going to do this. Like uh, and then and then you obviously get the you get the Ben Simmons Instagram story with John Wall after after the rumors the last couple of days that he's going to get traded for John Wall. He's a which troll. I think is nonsense. But yeah, I, honestly, I thought that was pretty funny. Good for Ben Simmons for getting a troll off yeah. at our expense. It was that. It was the let's go to the pool. Um, listening to songs in his in his car from Donda, even though it was one of the worst songs off the album and whatnot. Yeah, he's just he's a he's a big troll, and I feel I, I wish he put more into his game that he than he does like trolling. Like if his if he was uh, as good of a shooter as he was a troll, he's shooting Reggie Miller type numbers, and we'd be we'd be hoisting trophies right now. Um, one thing I do not kind of understand. The Jason Dumas stuff, like, yeah, the organized groups, that was a stupid tweet. The um, Tyrese Maxey wants to wants to leave, then he had to go retract that. I don't know how true, how untrue. The Ben Simmons is going to get traded on draft night, or they're trying to really, cons- uh, they're trying to really trade him on draft night. That obviously didn't come to fruition and whatnot. But people are like, love dunking on Jason Dumas, I'm, and I'm kind of like. Why? He's given us more than anybody in the city has given us on the other side of the country. Now, he's obviously a clutch guy. He's obviously got some sources within clutch. He definitely doesn't have any sources within the organization. That's what I've read into it. But like 90% of his reporting is it's kind of in a way been been right. He was right about Ben cutting off communication and he was told that he was wrong there. I I think people just just because people don't like that what he's saying it, it doesn't mean he's wrong the, the the dude has better sources than i don't know some of the beats have like our inside guy is keith pompey if there's anyone out there listening to this and wants an, wants a a way into the philadelphia media for the sixers become an insider i don't know if it's not their job to really be an insider but we don't have like a jim salisbury type we don't have like an eagles beat reporter who's an insider i i don't know who the insider over there is it's probably adam schefter but i mean you got your jeff mclean you got your zach berman you got your your Bo wolfs who who break news all the time if you want to get into the sixers media become an insider because nobody breaks news over there besides keith pompey and half the time you have to like go through a finely toothed comb to see if it's correct or not yeah, I think the problem with Dumas all goes back to the Maxi report because that seems like such a report that didn't need to be said uh, and then immediately retracted. It, it, it just, to me, reporting that and then less than 24 hours later coming out and saying, oh, I was incorrect in my information. It's just like something there is fishy. It's like either you reported something directly from not Rich Paul and then Rich Paul got on the phone and told you you were wrong and I, I don't know. It, it it did seem very carrying the water to me uh, in mm-hmm. terms of just just the maxi. I don't really care about the organized groups. I everyone freaked out about that, and everyone really thought that was crazy. And I get you know the blue coats have security, whatever. I don't really put that past us, like as a fan base, honestly. Not at all. At all. I, I didn't think that was that crazy of a tweet. The maxi stuff is really what bothered me because. There's no way that came from Tyrese Maxey, in my opinion. There's just no way Tyrese Maxey is in the situation he's in right now. And he's like, I need to be traded. There's just no way that there's no there's no drama with Tyrese Maxey. He played plenty last year as a rookie. He's a rookie that got to go to a very good team and he's going to start this year. There's no way that that he would demand to be traded, in my opinion. But 
Uh, so yeah, I think all the Dumas animosity goes back to that personally. And, and uh, you know, is it, is it worthy? I don't know. Who who cares? He's Jason Dumas. It, it seems like he's really trying to use this Ben, Sin- ben Simmons situation to gain relevance, which to me does, you know, it does annoy you a little bit if the information is not going to be a hundred percent correct. Uh, so I mean, uh, people, I think people think that like he's like the the Deuces Rogers of San Francisco, which he basically is. But he also like does NBA reporting for Bleacher Report. I know that kind of gets glossed over. Like there's other yeah. great, great guys out there uh, who do uh, Bleacher Report on the side, NBA reporting. I had one of them on. Uh, he wrote a book, and I can't believe I can't yeah, remember was his it name. Yarn, Yarn Weitzman? I did not have Yarn Weitzman on. <laughs> uh, I thought he was Bleacher Report. I, I, I don't know. I could be wrong there. There's a guy who wrote uh, Built to Lose. About- uh, Fisher? Yes, yes, Jake Fisher, Fisher mm-hmm. who who moonlights as an as a bleacher reporter and gets some good fucking, especially the good bits, yeah, from from a lot of people. But and then you look at the 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 Dumas tweet. And it was a three tweet thread, and the last tweet was about the the several organized groups planning to go boo him. I mean, the first two were pretty were were were, were tweets that were, you know. You should pay attention to like last year, all the key decision makers in the Sixers organization had signed off on a Simmons Harden trade. That's true, including Joel Embiid. Ben was informed by the organization that he was likely being moved. That's a rumor out there that he was actually even looking at houses in Houston. It didn't materialize and all parties moved forward without friction. But that has been a point of contention with Ben as it pertains to the current situation. I can't confirm whether he reports to camp or not. He probably won't. That situation is fluid. But I can reiterate that he has no interest in playing another game as a Sixer. So like yeah, that like two thirds of that tweet was good. The 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 booed organized crowds, which, I, like you said, you could sit outside the gates and just boo the hell out of this man. You could do it at Wells Fargo too. You could sit outside where the players come in and just boo the hell out of whoever you want. So I don't know. I think we just took that into name the groups, Jason. Name them. And I was like, <laughs> say the name. Angelo Cattoli getting the dirty thirty back together. Oh my God! Uh, this this I know you said that this is like bonded Sixers fans. For me, it's just made me hate like myself and all Sixers fans. Like I just every discourse I see, whether it's like no matter what take it is, no matter where someone is on the Ben Simmons situation, I find a way to like look at every opinion. And I'm like, oh, that annoys me. Like like some some little portion of everyone's Ben Simmons opinion drives me crazy because it's it's so 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 complex it is such a messed up situation that i just don't think anyone has the correct opinion or answer on yeah. it's, it's and it's also a, it's also a situation where it's like you know we wanted him gone like we 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 after game seven i'm down there i'm getting 30 minutes of footage saying fuck ben simmons ben simmons needs to go i never want to see ben simmons ever again no one was ever like hey yo i understand ben shot didn't shoot in game in in, uh, in the fourth quarter of any game in uh, in against the Hawks. He shot like less than thirty percent from on the line, but you could still build around him. No one said that, and if they did, I missed him. But out of a out of a stadium that seats twenty thousand people, I don't think anyone was like, "Hey, we got to bring Ben back." So now when he says like, "I don't want to come back now," I don't think he handled it the right way. Like if he came out and like kind of was like, "Hey, listen, like." You know, I mean, I don't know how he can handle it, really. I'm not even going to give an example because I don't know how you can handle this. But, you know, being a guy with four years left on your contract, I wouldn't want to be scrutinized every day. I wouldn't want to be answer questions from the media every day. I think it's good that he's not coming back. Yeah, you could definitely make that argument. I mean, you could definitely make that argument that even just in terms of a 
on floor basketball issue. It might just be as simple as if you keep Ben Simmons away from the team, the team's going to have a lot more chemistry and the team's not going to be having exactly. to answer questions about a situation that they shouldn't be answering questions about. And I mean, I, I do think that there's an argument to be made that just keeping him away will make this team better than it would be with an unhappy moping around, not trying his hardest Ben Simmons on the team. I mean, you could make an argument that giving Tyrese Maxey increased minutes and letting Seth Curry have a bigger role in the offense like he did in the playoffs and, you know, trying to force maybe electroshock therapy to bias Harris into shooting more three pointers. Maybe you can do all of these things, but. I mean, obviously losing Ben Simmons hurts from a basketball perspective, but you have to get over that if it's going to be this messy of a situation. At a certain point, drama outweighs, I mean, on-floor worth. And you're not just going to trade him because he wants to be traded. You're not going to just – I like my – you know, the boomers out there just like, <laughs> trade him for a bag of potato chips. <laughs> it's like, That's not I, how the world works anymore, okay? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, let's just let's just throw well, our organization down the toilet for the next The radio is getting mad. the letter – the, the radio's getting the let him rot going, which I'm okay with. I, I actually am okay with like letting him just get fined, like fined yeah. into oblivion. Um, I, th- I did think there was something very interesting. Mark Stein, and it kind of got a little underreported, uh, wrote in his Substack that uh, Adam Silver, he's heard from several league sources that Adam Silver could step in to sanction him, uh, Ben Simmons. You know, while true that NBA dreads the idea of training camp holdouts going coming back into vogue, like we saw in the early 1990s before the advent of the rookie scale contracts, intervention from the league is not always instant. When discipline could come for the team first, the onus will be on the Sixers first to impose fines or suspension. It's funny because this took me back to um, the Camarlo interview that he did with a uh, million dollars worth of game. That clip that he gets suspended 15 games by David Stern in that in that Nuggets Knicks brawl, which was probably the last great brawl we had in the NBA. Um, that David Stern knew everything he was doing. He knew the people he ran with. He knew what the people they were doing, and blah blah blah. And that's when um, Carmelo says, and that's where I learned the NBA were the feds. Now, Ben Simmons, I could definitely see some backroom stuff by Adam Silver, like. Hey, listen, I understand the situation, but we can't have one of our star players getting fined millions and millions of dollars and sitting out until the trade deadline or sitting out in general. I mean, these guys hate when people sit. They want the Sixers in a major media market to be a 50-plus win team. They don't want them to go back down to 45 wins, God forbid, 40, 35 wins and whatnot. I could definitely see him. I could definitely see Ben just reporting on his own too. But I could definitely see the NBA getting involved and and, and we're getting some new kind of wrinkles or kind of developments to the story. When when that story says exerting back channel power, you could just wipe that out and say the New Orleans Pelicans are concerned that Zion is going to do this in three years. You could just say that's yeah. exactly what that report is. I mean, there are other there, I know there's other situations, you know. I don't know who like John Moran, Damian, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal could be guys who request trades. De'Aaron Fox could be a guy who requests trades. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, John, yeah. I, I, John Moran on Memphis. If Memphis can't put it together. Uh, yeah. John makes sense too. I, I'm trying to think of guys that are still on that, you know, that post rookie contract, that first contract you get after that rookie thing, which, you know, really when you draft a guy, you're thinking you get them for your rookie contract. And then you're thinking you get them for the extension. Cause that's how it works. Generally. I mean, 
this is not a good precedent to set for the NBA. And I'm someone who doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Like I'm a player empowerment guy almost 100% of the time. Like I don't really, I'm not offended by Ben Simmons not coming to the, to the Sixers. Like nothing about that really drives me crazy. But just from a league perspective and just from an NBA perspective, it has more to do than just this situation. Like I said, it has to do with Zion. It has to do with those young guys. And they can't set a precedent that these guys can just do whatever they want and mm-hmm. sit out for full seasons and and miss and they're going to miss a full season from a star in the league. Obviously, I don't think the NBA is taking a loss financially if Ben Simmons sits out a season. I just don't think there's that many people coming to a game to watch Ben Simmons or tuning in to see specifically Ben Simmons. Now, Zion Williamson, John Morant in a small market, if those guys were to sit out, Memphis isn't having half of the attendance they have with Ja. Zion, I mean, there's like a thousand people to go to Pelicans games. It'll be 600 if Zion's not playing. So this is something that they really have to worry about going forward, especially in those small market situations, more than they necessarily have to worry about it in this situation with Philadelphia, who's going to be pretty good no matter what. Uh, and that's that's another thing that Woj pointed out. It's, it's pretty funny um, that, we're, you know, when a team is trading a guy like Ben Simmons at his age and whatever you want to say at his contract, it's usually because they're about to rebuild. It's usually you look at the picks, you look at all those things. This is such a messed up situation and such a complex situation because we're trying to deal Ben Simmons and then get better. We're trying to yeah. compete based on that. So uh, that's what makes it tough. And, and that's why you have to wait out until December or January until you see what, I mean, there's not going to be 30 teams in the NBA with a good record this year. There's going to be teams that struggle and that want to make changes, whether that be Sacramento, New Orleans, Chicago, Charlotte, Portland, Houston, whoever that is. We don't know yet. And I don't think we can make a move until we do. And it's just no matter what move we make, I'm going to weigh that against whoever the next star that's traded is or whoever the next guy that we've talked about in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes that's traded is like if we go out and trade for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald and a pick. And well, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to burn a building down and say that's the most terrible trade we could ever do. I'd be fine with it. And I'd talk myself into it. But then if, you know, the bulls go 10 and 20 and trade Zach Levine, I'm going to be pretty upset that we traded the same package to get Mm -hmm. that, the Halliburton and Heald. than we could have potentially get a guy like Levine. So it's all about weighing your options and it's all about not just making a move based out of uncomfortability. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, the NBA we've talked about before is a very reactionary league. Guess what? This season, we become Portland and Washington fans. Because if they well, both haters. start... Huh? Well, we're, we're watching their game, but we're rooting yeah. against them. <laughs> we're rooting against, yeah, we're, exactly. No, you're exactly right. We're rooting for Dame to go like 0-10 or 2-7 and to starter. Brad Beal to go 0-10 and, and, and request a trade. Like... It's it's such a reactionary league where it's like it's we're so lucky that we're in this situation as a team with an MVP favorite. We have Daryl Morey, who's been in the league for almost 20 years, if not 20 years. And we have a, a front office, an established office going through the process. So we understand what it's like to be at the at the bottom of the barrel. And like you said, to still compete where like we can we can wait. Like we can wait, like we can wait as long as you want to wait, Ben. The funniest situation is if Ben doesn't play for four years, it'll never happen, but it would be absolutely hilarious. Like, what do you, what do you do with the money? Like, if you just find the guy, does it go back into your pool? Like, yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, you can not to your cap space. 
but okay. I, I think it goes back into your 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 pocket your revenue i guess so i mean josh harris can buy a new yacht with that that'll be that'll be nice yeah. buy a new helicopter to land. flip another business and then sell yeah. it off yeah Ugh. so I, it's just like the sixers have beaten me so into like apathy like uh, i am just like a guy who I, I love the eagles i love the phillies i love the sixers notre dame villanova those five teams but the, the sixers probably like four months ago were number one on that list and just in terms of like how i feel about them and like i don't like i go to my i go to my girlfriend's house and her brothers and her dad want to talk to me about the sixers and i'm just like no don't please don't, yeah please don't like i just i can't do it like i they've beaten me into like I'm still a fan, but like I don't even want to talk about them. I don't want to think about them when I see stuff about them on Twitter. And it's it's just like I, I don't. Maybe that's just it's football season. The Phillies. Yeah, are it's also because run. they've 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 been second round losers for the last like two or three years. That's why because they haven't given us anything. They haven't given us that morsel of success. Like that's the crazy part about it. We haven't been past the second round. Like if you would have told us in 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 2014 that you're gonna get two top picks and they're both going to be multiple time all-stars first team all NBA. And you told 2014, you that uh, they're not going to make it past the second round. You'd be like, well, what went wrong? And it's like, well, our, our point guard got moody and uh, our big man couldn't stay healthy half the time. And also well, we had a coach that played all, all bench lineups. You see, I, yeah, I would go a couple different directions with that. I would go, you know, we signed Al Horford, uh, we <laughs> traded a bunch of first round. We all love that. Tobias Harris. We all huh? love that trade. We all love that trade. What at the trade? Time. The Al Horford trade. Oh, go go look at my Twitter. <laughs> Are you- go search at Mark Henry Jr. underscore Horford. Um, I You're one of the few I, then. I believe I tweeted out the moment Al Horford signed the process that the process <laughs> was over and that Joel Embiid's chance of winning a, ch- a championship in Philadelphia just went to 0%. Uh, so, so that was a pretty strong come out against that. I never understood the Horford thing. It was a complete Frankenstein fit with Ben Simmons. It's a power forward Tobias Harris is a power forward and Joel Embiid is a center. That was my least favorite move in franchise history. Personally. Uh, I also thought he was overrated in Boston. And I think that that has been proven true since, but uh, Al Horford is one of my least favorite Philadelphia athletes of all time with Sam Bradford and probably with like Byron Maxwell, probably a couple other guys up there, but Al Horford really, really changed the trajectory of where this team was going. In my opinion, you end up taking a max spot, giving it to Al Horford, and then you know you get Danny Green out of it. So uh, you basically use the max spot that you had for basically when everyone was saying when they had Ben and Joel, 2014, 2015, whatever. You have two superstars locked in, and or actually 2016 Ben was drafted, but you have two superstars locked in you have two max slots. What are you going to do with those max slots? If someone told you that was turning into Tobias Harris and Al Horford at that time, I would have shot myself in the head, but uh, not really, but I, I just, Tobias Harris, you mean? Yeah. yeah. There is so many pro- things that they've done wrong. I still truly 1000% hold on to the belief that we could have done this. We could have won with Ben and Joel. I mean, for God's sakes, the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship. If we didn't have Greg Monroe and Boban Marjanovic as our backup, and we were in a minus 80 in like 20 minutes of game time when they played, uh, maybe we would be talking about a completely different conversation right now. If we had Dwight Howard or Andre Drummond, as much as I hate them it, during that year, we would have went to the NBA finals or at least the NBA conference finals. And that is just a hard pill to swallow. There's, I, I think people just want to make things 
about the main topic. People want to make things about Joel and Ben and what the, the coach, the front office, and the front office is a big part of it, but it's way more often the margins. It's way more often what you do on the fringes. And I mean, the, the best example of that in sports is the Phillies. I mean, Bryce Harper is the has been the perfect player for us. Zach Wheeler has been the perfect signing. All these guys have been great that we've signed, but we have done such a tremendously terrible job working the margins and finding guys on the scrap heap and finding bench guys and role players. That's what happens when you when you do that. You are not going to be a good team, especially when there's so many other teams in the NBA that are able to take guys up off the scrap heap and turn them into guys. I mean, Brooklyn picking up Mike James, Blake Griffin, how many guys did they pick up last year that they turned into good players. I mean, it's just incredibly frustrating, and it seems it's a very Philadelphian thing to do to not be able to work the margins in a way that a guy like Sam Hinkie always did. Uh, and that's something I'll, I'll always say. He he always found a way to get better, even if it was tiny in tiny ways. I mean, Jeremy Grant, like Robert Covington, all, all these small pickups and trades and moves. And we just haven't done that since he's left as a Sixers organization. And we haven't done that in a decade as the Phillies since we were signing Victorino and Blanton and stuff. Do you think that they had to sign Tobias Harris at the time, losing Jimmy? They needed to give something to the fans with Al Horford. Well, well, my problem was trading for Tobias Harris. My my mm-hmm. problem was was ever making that trade to because you were making that trade for the right to max a player that probably wasn't worth a max. Not, actually, not probably. You were pay, you were trading for the right to max a player that is not worth a max. Um, so, th- the sad thing about Tobias Harris and the, the thing that always upsets me the most is Tobias Harris may be the number one player in the league that there is so many players that do, that do about. 85 to 95 percent of what he does on a basketball floor for about 30 to 50 percent of the cost of Tobias Harris. You look at TJ Warren, you look at Harrison Barnes, you look at these types of guys, they do pretty much every single thing Tobias Harris does on a basketball floor, and you pay them half or less. I mean, that's a tough thing to swallow. That's a tough pill to swallow to just be like, well, you know, at least we're paying, you know, a slightly better version of TJ Warren 38 million dollars. I didn't see TJ Warren. Or who's the other Harrison guy you Barnes. said? Harrison, Harrison Barnes, Barnes get any uh, all-star talk last year. <laughs> the 26th best player in the NBA. That's fair. Uh, you, I mean, you I, respect the 26th best player in the NBA, Tobias Harris. He's in so, the regular season, not the playoffs. Yeah, that might be fair. I was going to say he's so not a top 26 player, but uh, I, oh my God, Tobias. By the way, and it's like, it's like a rule that I have to say this before criticizing him. Great guy. Does a ton in the community. What a leader of men. But I wish he would shoot three-pointers. I mean, it's pretty simple. He did it in L.A. He did it with Doc Rivers as his coach before. Just do it again. And, and everyone's response to that is, well, he shot less threes last year. And he had the best year of his career. It's like, well, if he shot two more threes per game, he would have had the best year of his career by a way wider margin for a team that really needed three-point shots and three-point attempts. So just an incredibly frustrating player to me. But good guy. Great guy. Great guy. If I, I would love to love to get a coffee with him. Um, Sixers actually do have a, a team of great guys. I think Ben Simmons is a good guy, no matter what you think about him. He's probably a good guy. Yeah. I think he's not a bad guy. Uh, yeah. I, I think he's he's fine. I Never got in shy. trouble? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he's not like a, a scumbag. He's a shy guy. You know, maybe a little arrogant, but who cares? Maybe that's why he didn't, he didn't tell us directly to our faces that he wanted to trade. I would have loved. Guy. I would have loved to be in that meeting. Where you think it was over Zoom or do you think they met in person? No, I think um, Rich Paul taped duct tape over Ben's mouth and brought him in there, tied his hands and, and legs together, and he was just sitting there. And Rich Paul was like, 
Ben does not want to play for you guys. <laughs> so. It was like, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Like, like, I really like my $18 million mansion that I only had, I could only drop 10% down on uh, on it as uh, Rich's, uh, Rich's advice. It's like, oh, Jesus God. Christ. Um, yeah, so all right, before we get out of here, um, give me a way too early line. Today is Wednesday at 9 a.m. Um, Mark, if you follow him on Twitter, he loves grabbing early lines. So give the people something to uh, to wet the beak oh. a little bit. Time out. Hold on. Uh, right here. We're doing it. I don't care if it's biased. The Notre Dame football team. Oh, college, college game football. Day this week. We're going college football. I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll give, I'll give a quick NFL one after. They're six and a half, seven point dogs to Wisconsin in Chicago, in Notre Dame country on a neutral field, playing in Soldier Field. This is too many points. Graham Mertz has not shown enough to be favored by this many points against anyone for the Wisconsin Badgers. This is also a revenge game for Jack Cohn, who I'm not very huge on if you follow my Twitter. But if he's going to have a big game and he's going to have a defining moment as a Notre Dame quarterback, it's going to be against Wisconsin, the team he transferred from that forced him out to play this freshman who stinks anyway. Uh, so this is going to be a big moment for Jack Cohn, a big moment for Notre Dame. This is a season-defining game for Notre Dame. If they don't win this game, they could lose four of their next five. So it could get really dark. I love them to cover a touchdown. I, I just don't see how Wisconsin has the horses on offense to, to score enough to win by double digits. Graham Mertz is going to be the richest sixth-round sixth pick QB in, uh, in NFL history at the start of it. It's true. It's true. I mean, they, they, they got the, NL, the NIL uh, stuff down pat right away. Graham That's Mertz. fucking like, business, like a whole team under him. <laughs> it's a shame that he, he stinks. Uh, I, he tricked me. I came into this year thinking Wisconsin was going to be really good. Um, I have not been impressed with Wisconsin thus far. But my favorite pick in the NFL would be uh, – I, I would probably have to look – I already mentioned the Falcons on, on the pod earlier this week, so I won't go into that too much. The Seattle Seahawks at the Minnesota Vikings, I, I believe this is up to one and a half, two now. I got this on the money line uh, as soon as it dropped as a pick um, which uh, I very much recommend doing your gambling on Mondays and Tuesdays more than anything else. I, I think that the best lines you're going to get are right away because that's what Vegas actually thinks and not what the public uh, bets it up or down to. So I really, really like where Seattle's at in this game coming off of a heartbreaking loss. I think this is a huge bounce back spot. And Minnesota, Kirk Cousins, turtles in the pocket every time there's pressure. And he had a pretty good game against Arizona last week, but he had so many chances to not turtle under pressure. And he, that's what he does. That's He can't handle any sort of like any sort of his pocket collapsing in he immediately starts freaking out like it's the first time he's ever seen it so I, I think that'll happen a ton with Seattle who has some defensive concerns but I still think they'll get after Cousins enough and I just don't see how Mike Zimmer can stop DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett I mean these dudes are just unbelievable you pair these dudes with Russell Wilson it seems like they have one touchdown every week that one of them just gets like 30 yards behind a guy and it's like whoa where's the where's the defense so I, I expect that to happen a little more this week are you staying away from the birds and boys? Yeah, I'm staying away. I think if I was to take a side, it'd be the over. Um, I, I think this will be a high-scoring game. I don't know how we stop Dallas. But I, I will say my my main take on this game is that I've heard a lot of you know Jalen Hurts criticism. I've heard a lot of people nervous about Jalen Hurts after game two. Um, I, I've said it before. Game two was not as concerning as game one was promising for me. But if he plays poor against this Dallas defense, I will be – 
pretty critical because I think this is the perfect defense for Jalen Hurts to really step up against. I don't think that they have a tremendous team speed on defense. Maybe Mika Parsons, who looked good last week at D-end, will help that out. But uh, I think Jalen Hurts will be able to run around. I don't think the secondary will be able to stick with Devonta. I think Quez and Rager will both be able to make some plays as well. Hopefully they get the tight ends more involved this week. I, I, I have no kind of worries about the offense going into this game it's all the defense and the defenses look pretty good so far this year so maybe they'll continue that trend but dallas is a different a, a different animal they're a different offense than what we face so far people forget the niners signed carry on johnson he gave away all the trade secrets so nick sirianni had to <laughs> totally 180 his uh, game plan um if the line if the line got somewhere in the in the birds game where would you take it at it's at like four now it's probably it's jumped from three to four, four to three back in where would you get where would you get where's the sweet spot? Like if it hit like plus five birds, would you feel good there or would it have to get all the way up to six? For me, all about this is is I mean, this is stealing a bit from from Barstool a little bit, but this they it's all about primary numbers. It's all about football numbers to me all the time. I think about three, six, seven, ten, thirteen, fourteen. Those are the numbers that I try to kind of build my bets either in front of those numbers if i'm a favorite or behind those numbers if i'm an underdog i don't know if i explained that quite well enough but if you know if let's for instance say that the chicago bears right this week are plus seven against the browns um i'm waiting to see if that gets over a touchdown to bet them for the eagles i think that i would you know maybe if that get off to six or seven I would touch the Eagles maybe i'm just uh i'm annoyed that i bet so much on the Eagles last week and maybe i learned my lesson a little bit uh so I'm afraid of this game. I think it's as 50-50 as it gets. I I won't be touching it. Maybe I'll take both team total overs. I I don't know. Maybe that's a strategy. But this is a game that, from a gambling perspective, and just like, I I think it's one of the best games of the week. I mean, it's a rivalry. It's a primetime game. It's a good week. Yeah, it is. It's a really, really good schedule. And you look at the other two best games of the week, Bucks, Rams, 49ers, Packers, those are two games that I don't want to bet either. It's funny. Like I think those are the three best games of the week, probably, on, on paper. I wouldn't bet any three of them. I'm too busy, you know, focusing on, you know, Atlanta and New York. <laughs> any teams you've sworn off already this early in the season? Indy. Oh, well, I guess I haven't. I guess I haven't bet Indy. Uh, Marshall. I'll, I'll go college football. I will never bet on Marshall again. Uh, I, I'm not going to make any any jokes that I could at this moment. <laughs> um, but they were up by 20 with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter last week against John Jansen's ECU Pirates. Uh, and I had the minus nine and a half. I had the money line. They end up giving up two straight onside kicks to ECU, who goes down and scores both times to win by one. Oh my God. It just, I will never bet on the Marshall Thundering Herd for the rest of my life. Gambling is going to kill you. And if it's not going to kill you, you know, just because you're watching a game, is going to kill you when you have to go skydiving. So. <laughs> Well, I have two game lead, I believe. So uh, is that? What, I was wondering how he did. I, I I didn't know if you you knew off the top of your head. That's yeah. all right. I think that's I believe right. you went zero and three, and I believe I went Jesus. Two and one. Yeah, you had you had Eagles, Rams. Rams was a bad beat for you. Rams minus three and a half. They win by three. That, that's tough. But and then you had a third one. I can't can't remember. Oh, do you have the do you have the Chiefs? No, I can't remember. I don't know. You you went you went zero and three. I went two and one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's right. I'm I'm already I'm already thinking about you skydiving already. I, I've that's already right. said you know I have a two game lead. I'm like the I'm like the Braves. I'm I'm safe. 
No, no. When I'm back into a corner, that's when I start really getting going. That's when I start fighting. That's when I start looking at research. models and shit. Yeah. yeah. That's when I start doing research. I don't pick them like 10 minutes before the uh, before the podcast, but it's always worked out, you know, in the long run, kind of. Um, all right. That's Mark Henry. Go follow him at Mark Henry Jr. with a little underscore at the end, with a little tilde at the end. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe to the podcast and uh, go get a Jalen Hurts shirt. Because just just go get one because the, the the sales have stifled and I just keep looking at Etsy and there's 17 different other versions and I don't ever want to make another T-shirt ever again but I will we got one coming. Well, That's when when Jalen Hurts tails up when Jalen Hurts uh, absolutely tears up Dallas, you know that's skyrocketing again. Well, the bots will get the, all the sales. <laughs> <It's> fucking. <laughs> <laughs>